0: Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. We talk often. His name's Ken and He runs the True Free Thinker website, and you can see that uh, mm-hmm. on YouTube here, a um, uh, screenshot of his website. We've done many shows on a number of, wide variety of different subjects. Last time we talked, we talked about his debate with Gary Wayne and him being on um, Tinfoil Hat Podcast. But he, uh, I'm glad that he accepted to talk with me tonight about the perils of publishing, your self-publishing. Ken has published, I think he's over 40 books right now, pretty much self-published. I've published, self-published all my books as well. So we're going to talk about that uh, tonight. So it'll be a little bit different. But before we get started, I want to promote uh, a business that reached out to me. The company's name is Wisdom. And I'm going to pop up their, their website here. If you can see it on... If you're on YouTube, you can check out this uh, Wisdom website. The company is really the idea that they have is to have the capacity to talk with experts on most subjects. So um, it's really a kind of a new company, a new idea. I've used their technology and I will be having an open kind of open wisdom talk on Monday, December 13th at 5 p.m. Pacific. Again, so it'll be this Monday. Today is Saturday, the 11th, but it will be this Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific on Wisdom. So, what you have to do, if you have an iTunes, you do have to uh, download the app. So you can. It's very simple to use app. And what, where you want to find, and I'll put this in the show notes as well, uh, is to go to my handle on Wisdom, the Wisdom app. My handle. You can either type in William Ramsey investigates, and my handle, kind of like Twitter, is at William Ramsey Inv, and it'll be a question and answer. So you can cover all kinds of the new topics, the new subjects I've talked about, my books, my documentaries, any current events, really anything that you want to talk about. We can talk about over this uh, app, Wisdom, and I will, like I said, it will be on Monday, the thirteenth, December thirteenth, twenty twenty one, at five p.m. Pacific. So show up at that time and have the uh, app downloaded. And like I said, I'll have a link to my handle on Wisdom, which is William Ramsey Investigates or William Ramsey, Inv. And uh, so, you know, please, if you have time, feel free to join me and, you know, pick my brain on whatever subject you want. But again, uh, I'm going to talk to uh, Ken and me of True Free Thinker about the perils of self-published. So somebody who's published many, many, many books. And uh, so... Ken and me, thanks for coming on the show. It's great to talk with you again.
1: Likewise. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well,
0: I mean, we kind of did the short notice, but like I was thinking you came up with the subject and I was like, I can tell you my sob stories because I got a ton. I got my own novel or my own book of like perils, subjects, but maybe you can talk to somebody who's published tons of books and sending out books. You've told me a couple techniques uh, for people who are out there. What, what do you I mean? Kind of like uh, talk about how many books you publish and how you've done it, really.
1: Oh, if if I would have known you would have asked me that, I would have counted, but (laughs) I haven't counted in a while. I know I'm right around 50.
0: 50, wow. Now,
1: actually, the first book I ever wrote is not the first one I published. It actually took me a while to publish that one. And really, I never thought I would write any books whatsoever. It's just that one day I found myself writing a lot of articles that were supposed to be for a website, on the Baha'i Faith, which we talked about, uh, I think, the last time I was on.
0: Yeah, two two times ago, right? Yeah, yeah. and
1: so a buddy of mine just said, hey, you're writing so much about them, so many articles, why don't you just turn that into a book? And I go, huh, well, there's an idea. Well, that was back in the day <laughs> when I'm sure self-publishing existed, but it wasn't as easy as it is nowadays. I mean, nowadays, it's just a matter of uploading a document into a <laughs> To a website and so that's kind of how I got started on the thought of self-publishing now every now and then I get some childish and ignorant person making fun of me because I'll self-publish because there's still this like stigma like oh you're self-publishing because you couldn't hack it as an author you know And that just goes to show you have no idea what's happened in the world of self-publishing. There's actually actual publishing houses that now have set up their own self-publishing divisions. That's how popular it is and how much respect it's gained because people started recognizing that, hey, this isn't just about authors who couldn't hack it. It's about authors who wanna manage their own books. I want to own my own copyright. I don't want any of my books to ever go out of print. And so I own my material. I write about whatever I want to write about. And whenever a book of mine needs updating, guess what? I just update it. I don't have to wait to see if the publishing house is going to publish a second edition or a third. And you can avoid all of that stuff. You own it. You manage it. You run it. It's up to you. That's one of the wonderful things about it. Now, one of the perils is that marketing is a huge part of selling books and marketing is just ridiculously expensive. (laughs) So yeah, you can spread the word around the uh, interwebs and uh, you know, hopefully people will catch on and help you spread it across their social networking sites and stuff like that. But uh, ultimately, yeah. I mean, if, Um, If you want to get good at marketing, it's going to get really expensive. So, you know, you do what you can. And uh, that's one of the great things about especially what you've been doing lately, uh, William, is so many authors, uh, having them on your show uh, with so many books. And I can't believe you even attempt to read that many books, but God bless you for it.
0: (laughs) Thanks, man. It's been interesting. It's definitely mind-expanding when you got to read 10 books a week, it's it's a challenge.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things for me that I found so enjoyable is, besides the writing experience, and we can talk about the research and the writing in a minute, but um, just the publishing experience has been interesting and um, how it's even changed a little bit. So now, for example, um, you know, our buddy, uh, Zach McGaha, right who writes uh, fiction now i don't write fiction neither do you but he writes fiction so i was talking to some of his, to him and some of his fiction author buddies and i was telling him about how expensive it is for an author to publish a book and they're saying what you shouldn't need to pay anybody to publish a book they should be paying you and i, I kind of realized well i guess that's cuz you guys are writing fiction and so there's a A recognizable genre and most of them are horror authors so it's kind of like locked and loaded they're ready to go but people like us writing on relatively obscure topics that are (laughs) research-based yeah i'm not sure of anybody who's just going to up and give us money to publish our work
0: nobody gave me money (laughs) yeah so
1: so that's another part of it is how much of my own money do i want to spend after i'm the one who put in all that time and energy into the research and writing Right. So that's just another aspect of self-publishing is is that, yeah, the publishing itself is free. I mean, depends on what system you use to do it. The one I use is free. Right. So that's another benefit.
0: Have you tried to use Kindle create at all? Kindle create? Kindle create. Have you seen that? That's their new system on Amazon, the software they're using to upload new books?
1: I guess not. Um, what I do is just go in through the um, Kindle Direct Publishing, is what at least they have been calling it, and then they ask you, do you want to publish this as a paperback and as a Kindle? And you can say yes or no. And so that way, pretty much in one shot, you have it as a paperback and as an ebook through Kindle.
0: See, I thought that they were mandating that you had to use Kindle Create now. Maybe I missed that. Uh,
1: Well, I haven't published anything since, I think, yeah, earlier this year. So I guess the next time around, which should be pretty soon, incidentally, the next time around, I guess I'll be able to tell you.
0: Well, hopefully good luck, because I think when I published this last book, I had to learn Kindle Create. But I may have been wrong. I may have just blown it and not seen the uh, (laughs) the right recommendation. But I don't know, man. It was... Kindle create was half the battle for me because I had to learn a whole new problem. And I always use a lot of pictures too. So that is an inhibition for their software on Amazon is like, you know, pictures and stuff and formatting was a real pain. I finally figured out the formatting, but Kindle create, watch out. If they're forcing you to use Kindle create, (laughs) anticipate that. If you need any tips too, for you, I don't know. It might be easier for you, but for me, it was a pain in the, you know what, but, uh, Yeah. Did you ever try to contact or send out your books to a publisher? Or do you always on the self-publishing route?
1: Yeah. I, I got as far as contacting some publishers and getting an idea of how much it would cost. And it would always be costing me a ton of money. I mean, we're talking hundreds of dollars. And I mean, if you think about how I published 50 books already, there's no way I could even come close to affording that. So that's pretty much what drove me into self-publishing It's not that i couldn't hack it i couldn't hack it financially actually that's what happened uh, i didn't have enough money to pay somebody to publish my books
0: and there are predatory uh in my opinion predatory non big publishing houses not simon and schuster or something but there are some that say we'll do everything for you you just have to select this 2500 dollars package or something right stuff right. like that so you gotta really watch out for yeah. those people too well, if, or then Yeah.
1: Somebody told me to try their publisher. Oh, it's free. They do the editing, all this and that. And I said, well, what do they do in terms of marketing? And he said, nothing. Oh, well, then what's the point? That's the main thing right there is that they're going to get behind the book they published and they're going to popularize it. But they did nothing. So, okay, well, then there's no real point for me.
0: Right, so that's an issue. And then also the margins that they give you are scarce. I mean, it's terrible. Like at least on Kindle, you get 70% of what you sell on KDP on a um digital copy, and then there's a certain amount depending on what you charge for a paperback copy. But the publishers I talked to, man, they were telling me the worst stuff. It was the cheesiest deal. And another element also is very important to understand is control. Just like you said, you can update right. it when you want, but some of these people, could you could potentially sit your manuscript in and, and they would edit it into a different book, potentially, based on politics or anything like right. that. So, yeah.
1: so yeah. I mean, self-publishing has changed uh, technologically and it's changed just conceptually or the way it's received by the public. If they recognize that you, you are publishing a book that's worth reading, people don't really seem to care anymore who endorsed it or didn't or who's the publisher or who isn't or... And I mean, that makes a lot of sense because ultimately it should be about the content of the work. Uh, Sadly, we don't really live in that culture yet. It's still very much about appearances and uh, being emotive. (laughs) But people who are interested in books, um, at least, like I said, at least for us who publishing nonfiction research-based books people recognize look as long as the research is solid then that's all i care about
0: 100 agree you and i've done close to 20 shows and i haven't heard one person ever question your research or say this guy's a self-publisher don't listen to him or whatever it's the exact opposite actually people are like hey can you ask this people are asking me to ask you stuff because they th- they know you're or i have encyclopedic knowledge i'm like okay whatever. But so it's the opposite of that kind of, and I, would you, would you agree that the public publishing houses perpetuate that view that self-publishing is, you know, for people who can't hack it?
1: Well, like I said, that's changing too because there are hardback and paperback publishing houses that are very well established that of recent years have opened their own division of self-publishing. Because they recognize they need to get a piece of that action. (laughs) Right. So that's how much it's grown. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the control. Because I update my books all the time. I just didn't update on global death cult. And I mean, it's so important too because new things happen. So you're not getting solidified and there's no bureaucratic controls or anything through. If you, I'm I'm like Stephen King probably has a system down where he gets paid huge amount. I mean, huge amount of money up front. Does somebody else does the editing and does all the book covers. So that's like an opposite of something but for me like the updates and uh just doing it yourself is like really beneficial yeah.
1: I actually felt good when I read uh Stephen King's It because I wrote a book reviewing it. So when I read it and he published that what back in the 80s right
0: yeah.
1: I, I found the spelling error in it and I was so happy it made me feel so good because hey even the big boys can still have Spelling errors in books that have been out for decades right. and are supposed to be uh, have been edited by top notch, you know, right. Um, right. publishers. So that was I fantastic. noticed
0: uh yeah. spell check doesn't get everything right. Yeah, and also it it transposes some words sometimes. So I read all the time, so I pick up little things like that too. Yeah, yeah. I'm big, well, I'm big naturally known books.
1: So that's part of the process too. So for example, um. English is my second language and I have some kind of form of dyslexia. So editing for me is, and I don't have an editor. That's what I'm saying. So it's like a perfect storm. So editing for me can be really tricky because there's literally things I can't see or they look different to me. So for example, whenever I write a book where I'm talking about angels, I always make sure when I'm done, I'll do a, a word search for the word angle because right. i'm sure somewhere down the line i wrote angle instead of angel and stuff like that right, right. but see spe- spell check is getting smarter but typically it didn't catch things like if you wrote uh form versus from right because right. they're both spelled right, right. it's just well, that it had to get smart enough to determine that the grammar because the grammatical context is what lets the system know, okay, wait a minute. This is spelled correctly, but it's the wrong word for this context, right? Right. So that's getting smarter. And then and so what I'll do is I will use spell check as I'm writing. And then maybe I'll run it through something like a grammarly or something like that. That is smarter, typically smarter because it knows the grammar. And then I'll yeah, I'll just print it out on good old fashioned paper and I'll read through it and make editing marks by hand. Yeah I know you do the same thing. No doubt. <laughs> and you I gotta mean, have to, yeah. You have to hit it from various angles to try to catch everything.
0: It's true, but I think that editing process after writing is really important because it actually tightens up the prose. Because I don't just notice the spell check; I just notice sentences that don't aren't as clear, or yes, a better word comes across. So it's almost yeah. like you're going through that process of writing. I mean, you've written so many books. Like I've done the, I would do the research myself. That's how kind of my books arisen but what's your strategy really to, I mean, you're, uh, it's just super productive and it's hard to believe that English isn't, I always forget that English is your second (laughs) language. It's hard for me to believe, but what's your strategy to really get that production going to, to write those books? Like, how do you, do you set time aside? Are you a morning writer? What do you do? What's your kind of technique? Yeah.
1: Well, one thing I was going to add to the end of that point we were making is that, um, Early on, I used to rely on programs that would read a text to you, right? So then that made it a lot easier because you're just listening to something that you wrote. And then hearing it was a lot easier to catch errors. Interesting. So that's another thing. That's another option. Uh, for me, it kind of depends. So for instance, I might go through a period where but work is really busy and I got kids in soccer and I got stuff I got to run around to do yeah, things busy and then times where things kind of slow down a bit. So it kind of depends, but typically I'll get writing in whenever I can. <laughs>
0: right, so you're, uh, you're not uh, or something. Like
1: yeah. Like, I mean, if I'm going somewhere where I need to sit and wait doctor's office or, or wherever picking up groceries or who knows what, If I think I'm going to be sitting somewhere for a while, I'll bring something to read or something I've written to edit. I mean, I'm kind of just using any moment that I possibly can to do that. But um, so I'll give you an example. When I was researching for my book, um, Nephilim and Giants, As Per Pop Researchers, I mean, I've plowed through maybe 80 books in the research for that. And I, I say plow because you know that research reading is different than regular reading, right? right. It doesn't yeah. research reading, you're not necessarily reading books cover to cover. You're just kind of going to the books to derive certain bits of information. Correct. That's correct. So yeah, I plowed through like 80 books. Some of them were digital, some of them weren't. And I took a speed reading course. I cannot claim to be anywhere even close to a speed reader. But the one thing I did get out of it is uh, how to skim. So that was very helpful. You know, you just kind of look up and down pages, and you're able to catch uh, things and determine, okay, yeah, this is definitely a page I need to stop and actually read word for word. Or no, this is no, this is nothing, nothing. Okay, and you go to the next one. But um for me also whenever i have a free time here and there whether it's when at home in the evenings or even at work whenever i just need a minute to kind of take a break from what i'm doing and have some what i would consider enjoyment is doing doing some writing right
0: i mean did you uh i mean yeah when was your first book published do you remember that
1: You know, I could check really quick.
0: Just curious, because like my first was what, 2010, I think that was when I did Profit of Evil. So I've kind of, my techniques have gotten better, which is always break it down, your book into chapters, and then write those chapters, and then put them back together at the end, because I find that to be much more manageable, and it avoids editing mistakes, like my books run longer, 300, 350 pages. So, so that technique has worked for me in, in uh, editing and just writing in general is to kind of break it down. It's like a, bunk, a Buckminster Fuller idea where there really isn't a complex problem. You just have to break it down in smaller parts. And that's my recommendation to people who are just starting writing is just write a paragraph a day. Don't even try. Don't think about. I'm going to write a 400-page magnum opus or whatever that is. You know, <laughs> just try, just do a paragraph a day, and start putting these things together, and you'd be surprised. And then the ball starts rolling, the the uh, snowball starts rolling down the hill. Right? So
1: that's so what looks, I recommend
0: to anybody who wants to start writing. That. It looks
1: like my first one was published 2017.
0: Really, that recent? Yeah. How long have you and I known each other now? I thought it, I thought we went back at least like six, seven years
1: yes but i think that i hadn't published any books yet
0: i was just i mean
1: i I had still created hundreds and hundreds of articles for my website at at that time yeah but publishing came later or writing books
0: and you're on youtube too i gotta put your youtube channel on yeah uh, yeah, you've done a lot of youtube stuff
1: i almost if i had the time to Download and re-upload all my videos. I might start a new channel because man mine's got strikes and I'm I was just told the other day I'm being shadow banned uh, in the comment sections and it's such a mess sometimes I just don't want to bother with it anymore
0: (laughs) No YouTube is a mess my suggestion to you is get on YouTube and then sign up to an account on Odyssey and rumble and Mm -hmm. everything you put on YouTube automatically gets oh. distributed to uh, odyssey and rumble right away that, that so all my stuff is backed up so you never i never have to worry i already got a strike i did a show with this guy truth hold and we were talking about elite pedophile track child trafficking and i got a strike for cyber bully, <laughs> cyber oh, bullying boy. so if we're in a country where you can't insult right elite child rapists like YouTube is gone now. This is people are terrible, like they've blown yeah. their head. It's actually not funny, it's disgusting, but like that's what they came after me for all of my content. That's that my first strike on my version two. So, anyway, that's a whole other story. So, yeah, people have to be really careful. That's the other thing about books, man. You lose control, you may not have they could do stuff. When I first was sending out Prophet of Evil, I was, I mean, I was not a known author in any way, shape, or form, I was not even a known person. It was 2010. I was writing it and printing out my book on a printer, and I think that some of these people—I don't, probably shouldn't name their names—but people that people would know who listen to my stuff, like, oh yeah, we'll give you ten percent of net or something like, just the worst shave imaginable, like yeah. or, a Christian ripoff shave. Like, whoa, man! I bet I could get a better deal from a you know, like a ex-felon yeah. or something. Wow, that's nothing. <laughs> So that was one of my incentives
1: to go it my own way. So, so there's some uh, good comments about writing and all that. Let me, so let me just say a couple things. One is I've encouraged people that if they want to write a book and they don't want to publish it, they can still do that. Right. Because when you go into a self publishing system, you're not forced to hit publish. You can just upload it and print like an author's copy. So let's say you just feel like writing your own poetry or just family stories, and all you want is a couple of copies to hand out to your family or recipes or whatever, anything you want. You can put it through a self-publishing system and just don't go all the way to the last stage where you're hitting publish and then it's out there. Just don't do that. Just publish. Um, I mean, just uh, have a few printed for your own use, for your own enjoyment. And um, now there's the someone commenting on um, yeah lee is saying i find the research very rewarding and yeah that's that's part of what i think keeps me going is each book is such a different experience for me so like the one i was just talking about uh, nephilim and giants as per pop researchers since it was a book that was meant to mostly critique the work of the pop researchers that's why I plowed through so many books and I ended up with 400 pages, just worth of quotations. Okay. So now what happened with that one is when I was done with my research and I was ready to actually get down and write, that's when the initial COVID stay at home orders were passed. March, 15th. And for me, that was perfect timing because <laughs> then I was sent home and I was just, brrr, just writing and writing and writing and writing. But now, some of it was just brutal because, like I said, I had 400 pages worth of quotations. So I'm looking at them and I'm thinking of how to categorize them. So in which chapter are they going to fit? So that was days and days and days of nothing, but just pulling the quotation, seeing where it best fit, pasting it in that chapter, just mindless, uh, just busy work, like just mind-numbing and just a uh, toil you know it was so hard <laughs> but then once i kind of got everything situated then i started writing and that's was just so much fun uh frustrating because of the subject matter but fun you know when I, you actually start connecting things and and yeah for me it's very cathartic in that um i got a, a head just stuffed with information and then finally ah uh, getting it out and you know that the process of writing also helps you understand things better because if you are a if you need to explain something to somebody it helps you understand you know people say all the time there's no better way to learn than to teach so True. in that process you're not only just getting it out of your system but you're systematizing it you're putting it together in an understandable manner and that's even part of the formatting of the book you were talking about. You have to make it make sense. And even some people have criticized me because I don't write conclusions. I don't write like a last chapter that's a conclusion. Because in my mind, it's, look, I've told you everything i got. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> you right, that's interesting. You, you got it right there. But for me, it's uh, I've written books. When I think, hey, I know a lot about a certain subject, I'm going to write a book about it. But then I've written some where I go hey, I want to learn something that I don't know, and this subject interests me. So after I go through my, you know, ridiculous process of delving into the minutiae of the research, uh, then I go, hey, you know, if I ended up learning something, I might as well just sort of uh, share what I learned with other people, and here comes a book. And then some books are also just like opening up my researchers' files. Some of them are just straight up, Um, research where I barely write anything so like one of them was the paranormal and and early Jewish and Christian comments and and for that book I literally only wrote like a half a page intro and that's it the rest of it is just quotations because yeah the book was just meant to um, to give you what other authors in the, from the 4th century B.C. to the 10th century A.D., what they had to say of issues of angels, cherubim, seraphim, demons, Satan, the devil, serpent, the dragon. That's what I focused on. So that, to me, was a great reference material. So I barely wrote anything in that in that one. So it's kind of interesting. Even the genre of the book, What, even though all of it's still nonfiction, Uh, It's just how how it came about that makes it interesting.
0: One of the other things a book does is it legitimizes you or legitimizes the author as somebody who knows that subject, whatever the title or content is. I found that to be very important to also just kind of like me interviewing people, too. I know this person because they've written a book. They can talk on that subject, you know, because it's different. And they know, like you said, they've taken it, they've systematized it, they put it in their brain you barfed it out on a piece of paper. So, you know, and I think that's worked for you too, because that's the foundation of all the shows I've done with you. And then you've done tons of, you know, other interviews and stuff. You have one today or whatever. So I think. the,
1: The thing too, for me is that a lot of the subjects I write about, it's not because I'm an armchair researcher and I go to the library and have my head in books and then just say, here's what I think. But it's stuff that I've tested. It's stuff that I've discussed and debated with dozens and dozens, of, or sometimes hundreds, literally hundreds of people. And so it comes out as better research in the end because I've tested it live. I've had these discussions. I've had my ideas challenged. And I've either revised them or I've strengthened them. So what you end up getting is a better product in the end. So, for instance, one of my biggest fans who's bought more books than almost anybody is a guy that uh, when it comes to what I call biblical paranormology, there's a lot of it he doesn't agree with me on, but he still loves my books because he says, I just learn so much from them about different views that people take on this stuff. Cause yeah, I'm not afraid to, to put that in there.
0: Right. Put it out there. Right. Yeah. And I mean, another, the,
1: part, another part part. Uh, I'll just tell you a story about the, the sort of evolution of um, research over the past decade or so. In terms of that, when I first started researching heavily, um, there weren't many books on the interwebs, you know, on on the computer machines. So I'd go down to the library and do it the old fashioned way, I'd sit there uh, with books, taking notes by hand on paper, which to me that, okay, yeah, you had to do that. There was really no other way. Uh, but it was so inefficient. It drove me crazy. So then, um, I thought, oh, I know, um, they have these things called photocopiers in libraries. So I would just photocopy the pages that interested me. So then I could take them home and, and, um, type them directly into the computer. So that was an improvement. I didn't have to have, uh, by the way, the reason I'm saying that is because I was mostly going to a library at the local university that contained a lot of religious material, but I didn't have, uh, you had to pay to have a membership at the library. Otherwise you could just look at books, but you couldn't check them out. So I couldn't check them out. That's what I'm saying. That's why I would make photocopies, take the photocopies home and then do the hand typing. But even that was too inefficient for me. So then eventually uh, technology changed. And now I could take those photocopies, bring them home, scan them and turn them into PDFs, and then have them become editable text. And then I could copy and paste. So that was just like a brand new world. Now I could go through so much more material and and instead of hand typing quotations, could just copy and paste. And that was really, a game changer in, ter- in terms of the efficiency, because I remember spending hours at the library, just hours and hours and hours, where then by that time, also more books were available online. And it just became so quick that there's times nowadays where once I get it into my head, what I want to write about, it might take me one single week and maybe two. It kind of depends. But, so they uh, come out pretty fast once you, yeah, when you
0: yeah, got it, that idea. Well.
1: Yeah, it depends, but it can be
0: pretty fast. Kind of amazing the way that's changed. And do you, like, what, uh, have you ever had any problems with, like, copyright or anybody kind of lifting your material or or getting close to copying it or anything like that?
1: Well, not that I know of.
0: <laughs> you never know. I mean, you know, I, I found that it's very competitive, not just the books, but also kind of information on the interwebs. Seen some people pretty similar stuff you know
1: i was gonna say i know you've had issues with people taking your subject matter and the way that you're you're handling it and the way you're elucidating it and using it as their own even if they're not technically plagiarizing right right it's yeah. like they're yeah they're kind of getting around it
0: Well, it's skilled. I think that like, for example, if you look at the most dangerous book in the world and profit of evil, if I put my book next to that book and took it into any academic Mm. institution that's worth uh, anything, even some of the, any of the lowest level academic institutions, they would cite that for plagiarism. Mm. I truly believe that. So, I mean, it's skilled. So what you do is like, I write one that says Mr. 77 and then they write uh, you know, mr Lee Ross or something they interpose that so that book i mean for me to hear that like i hear like comedians hearing their stuff ripped off like that's the way i feel when i hear them on the shows and they're on the shows even this year so tinfoil hat i'm just like eee. and the really scary thing that book in particular is like i think Lavender really was the, the real writer not the guy who's out talking about it but uh and that's and then the excise like my book i think is has a lot more integrity to the to the author and they excised a lot of stuff about crowley out of that Mm. so they just put kind of numbers but they never really explained crowley's real Uh philosophy and meaning and uh so it's a really important actual lesson for a lot of people is that you may begin that to me like trying day to me is trash you know i just don't respect mulligan or those people at all my opinion just no yeah my opinion of those people is really bad because, and well, just watching him take credit for my research is just like disgusting. But yeah, yeah. And well, comedians right. get pissed off about that. Like, I can understand that a
1: lot. Yeah. I mean, I know that I uncovered a plagiarist, but it wasn't that they were plagiarizing me, if you recall.
0: I do. I do recall. I know his name uh, yeah. it starts with a Q. <laughs> well,
1: and that was something that I edited in one of my books, in the Pop Researchers book. In fact, when I first wrote it, I was saying that it appears to me as if that's what this guy was doing, plagiarizing, because his book was ridiculously expensive. And I was not about to spend that much money on a book that I thought was plagiarized, but then somebody was kind enough to donate me some money to get a, you know, frugal version. And then when I got my hands on it, I totally verified the guy had plagiarized. So then, I would change my own book, saying, "Okay, it is a fact now. That's verifiable. I can prove it, and I did that. It's sad, but that's what happened. It's, this guy's a plagiarist,
0: and it's a significant one—not like one statement or phrase or sentence, was, but like uh, whole chapters. Cut and paste. Yeah, yeah cut and paste. Yeah. In the big bad way. I have read a lot of books. I would tell you, I'll tell you offline some of the plagiarism. I've I've seen major books, national bestsellers that have literally ripped stuff off from Wikipedia." I am not kidding. I'm not kidding. Yeah. No, really bad. I could, I could expose a couple, you know, I I just, I don't feel like it's at my job, but uh, wow. I'll tell you offline. I don't want to say that. Another part. Yeah.
1: I was just going to talk about how another part of the kind of research we do is how do you determine what is credible or not and what is incredible And that can be tricky, but uh, sometimes you kind of have to go with whatever group you're researching, what do they consider to be their official stuff? And then you can look at that. So, for example, when I wrote a book on Catholicism, I tried as much as I could to only quote books that were written by Catholics and that either had the imprimatur or nihil obstat. So imprimatur means that the ecclesiastical censor is saying let it be printed. Okay, go ahead and print it. And then nihil obstat, that just means nothing nothing hinders. So again, it means an ecclesiastical censor has read the text and determined it contains nothing that would hinder the Catholic faith. So they're not saying what's in the book is doctrine or dogma. They're just saying at least it doesn't conflict with the Catholic doctrine. So it's okay to publish this book as a Catholic book or for example, the Baha'i faith, the same thing. I remember meeting with them one time and I was reading them some quotations from Baha'i books and saying, is this something you consider accurate? Is this accurate? And then they kind of told me, well, um, that one's not what we consider canon. This one is, you know, so you kind of have to try to get your sources to be things that that group won't reject just out of hand
0: right i mean there's a it's a good question like what do you put in like what how, st- how much stuff is credible how do you address that right. especially nonfiction. yeah like
1: and, yeah or just uh how much do you speculate right right i mean i try i don't mind speculating but first i determine that there's a need to speculate <laughs> right i, I mean think that's
0: important yeah just yeah. to state that
1: right and it's important even to put that straight up in writing Being like, look, I can prove this, this, and this by these sources. Now I'm just going to speculate a bit because there's something between these two data points that there's not a direct line, but it kind of seems there is. I can't really prove it though, so I'm going to speculate. So see, first you have to determine you have a good premise for speculating, because I hear a whole lot of speculating just because people are trying to make something out of nothing it's like well no that that's more like tall tale Um, it's not just that you're speculating it's because you have nothing else to go on that's that's a different ball game
0: right um yeah and i think that's a problem like people just trying to gin up their their research with a lot of stuff that really may is is much more mythical than anything you know we've talked about that
1: yeah or else um right because they have not much to go on they're turning their what's supposed to be research more into speculation because it kind of allows their imagination to go wild and then it's kind of interesting to watch how that that kind of stuff can take over all because all of a sudden people are just uh, playing off of your research like you said and they're playing off of it and they're just um repeating it as if it's authoritative and so it does the next person and then all of a sudden it becomes a thing, right? <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. I mean there, uh yeah. The publishing world is interesting. Once you yeah. kind of get in there and you're a published author, you notice the different thing, you see the business of it, you see uh you know ear tickling, you see, you know, you just see different angles of a lot of stuff. A lot of um You can tell, I mean, for me, a lot, especially kind of in the Theo sci-fi arena, people are putting out content, I think, for reasons that and values that overarch integrity and sobriety to the truth. So, Well, you know,
1: I was talking, I had a discussion with an atheist the other day. He goes by T-Jump. His name's Tom, Tom Jump. And it was interesting because he was rarely consistent. I was pretty shocked at how consistent he was because when I was doing my usual thing of breaking everything down to see if he had any foundation for what he was saying, he ended up just stating straight up and constantly agreeing when I would remind him, look, for you, this is all purely subjective personal preferences du jour, right? That's all it is. you're not saying anything's absolutely objectively right or wrong or accurate and inaccurate. You're just saying for you, this is purely subjective personal preference. And in fact, he said, it's fun. That's why he's doing it fun. He's so he's an atheist activist for fun subjectively because he recognizes that's all he has to go on. Right. And I thought that was really fascinating, but anyhow, I Pointed out to him that some atheists are out there making a living off of their atheist activism, and he says, "Well, yeah, I'm making a living off of it." I'm like, wow I, wow, I wish somebody could tell me how you know guys like us could make a living off of it. But uh, there are people, and again, I I can't speak to the motivations of anybody, but it is a fact that some people are out there making a living off of the stuff you hear them saying and publishing. Right. So, you know, something that we would have to consider is, well, how successful could we become to the point where we're willing to sort of trade in our integrity for our paycheck? I mean, once because I've known people who have quit their regular jobs because they started making a living online.
0: Right.
1: So what what happens then if (laughs) if something threatens your ability to make a living online such as having integrity or being corrected or challenged and being shown that you don't really know what you're talking about at what point do you say well okay uh see you later cyber world I'm gonna go back to get a real job and but this this why part part of why there's these sort of hedges of protection around certain people they become so popular you can't touch them anymore you can't you can't Confront them to their face and challenge their views. um, And however graceful a way you would still be doing it. You can't even get that far because they're just so beyond you that there's no way to even reach them.
0: But isn't that with a lot of ideologies and philosophies, different sides of the political spectrum? These people have found a a way to make money. They have a set audience. They're not going to change their ideas. They're not going to go from right to left or have a nuanced view or an atheist who admits that to you is pretty shocking. Like I, this is just my position, totally subjective and I'm making good money. I've got all these other atheists giving me cash. My Patreon is strong. And that's, I think that's an important kind of uh in the marketplace of ideas, that's an important thing to understand is these people may not have any integrity at all. (laughs) So you could be literally be like, this guy's a, you know, he's a terrible human being. He's just a prifter making money. He doesn't have any integrity. He doesn't care. Yeah, you
1: know? This is somewhere I am speculating, because like I said, I don't know the motivations of all these people, but I'm just saying that is something that's sociologically important to consider, Yeah, yeah. is once you're literally making a living off of what you're saying, um, and, and I've actually had uh, Kev Baker, you know Kev Baker, yeah, no, Kev Baker
0: yeah.
1: he's talked about because he's been way up there i mean he's had an extremely popular show for many many years and he he talks very openly about how he recognized that once he got to the very high levels there's a there's this aspect of well how much of a much ado about nothing do i have to do to stay up there right how much do i have to turn like a nothing story into something and spice it up and make it sexy and exciting just because i'm supposed to
0: keep this thing this ball rolling this right? is the most important broadcast yeah. i've ever made you know that kind of stuff that those yeah. prefaces uh oh, scare people fear fear mongering you're right or, yeah, I mean, I mean whether
1: it's uh it, it could be any subject. Like right, you said, it could be right. politics, it could be the paranormal normal, it could be the Bible, it could be anything.
0: Anything. They're really good Christians. There's a lot there's a significant number of Christians who are really good at that overarching approach who've made a significant amount of money. Joel Alstein, some of these other TV evangelists really
1: yeah, that's incredible. I
0: mean, and then the temptation's probably there to, to keep the gravy train going. So you're right. I well, mean, it's I the mean, same thing with books.
1: If I was smart, which apparently I'm not, then I would have definitely had different takes on certain issues that would have gotten me invited into the, uh, the, the conference circuit to present lectures and to be on TV shows right. and get publishing deals. But sorry, I ch-
0: you <laughs> have too much integrity. You should have. And you did. should have flipped and said, "The nephilim are everywhere, man. There's a yeah, nephilim. Your 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 next door neighbor could be a nephilim. He could and be by the, the, way, the giant seed.
1: And by the way, they're little people,
0: and they're little people too. Now, you know and, what I told? You know, and tomorrow, that... the end of the world's coming. It's within a. It's within a month. You know. So you guys got to really, you know, dedicate yourselves to this church and give me a lot of money because you know we're all going to be only one hundred forty four thousand of us are going to be. There you go. You guys better work hard.
1: Count me in. Yeah. Now, what I told somebody the other day is, when I was asking them a question that kind of challenged them, I said, "I hate to be that guy, but I have to be that guy." You know?
0: Well, you, I, I put you on the. It's a kind of a short list of integrity people with integrity, the truth, like not willing to go with the flow, or be in the popular group. Uh, Put you in a very small group of people who are willing well to, you're in
1: that group yeah. as well for sure
0: oh thanks well because yeah, i know it hasn't been easy <laughs> so i don't know whatever
1: i mean I, I remember when i was i was watching a documentary on netflix and they showed this shadow figure but just from the voice i was like wait a minute that's william Where was on, what, the, what
0: was it what for what what show was
1: it uh it was about Mata Morris. Oh really? Oh yeah, yeah that was yeah. me on the
0: could occult show. Yeah, that yeah. was me.
1: But see, you were doing the thing where you're interviewed and you're completely oh, in the right. dark. In the, yeah. No, what that was else?
0: interesting. I actually did that in a hotel room in uh the valley. So I had to drive up. His name was Christian Page. No, Christian I, don't, Page. I don't speak French, but he's French. He's no, nice I,
1: just, I just let the demon cat out of the bag there. That was that was you.
0: was definitely me i would i mean that was kind of like more where i was trying to be underground like yeah i mean that's that's dangerous i I mean those books that i wrote the whole west memphis 3 thing was like like just chucking a big old gas can into a fire man. but i was just
1: mentioning that because you've had um quite a few shots at very popular outlets but you're not selling out to them you're just like hey man i'm here to to say my part the the research i've done and tell you what i know and that's it. Uh, you know, you haven't sold out to any of them.
0: Yeah. I've never, I've never really changed my position on all of my fronts. You know, Crowley, West Memphis yeah. 3. None of that stuff's really changed. Uh, smiley Face Killers, all that stuff. But, yeah, no. I, and it, yeah, it can be frustrating. It's a lonely kind of voice from the wilderness type of feeling. You know? Yeah. All right, man. So let's uh, wrap this up. Uh it's great always great to talk with you time passes fast Likewise. What's the... and in
1: fact yeah let me just leave you with one more thought is like you said we're we're putting each other in the camp of integrity and you're definitely maybe the only person i've known online who i can consistently rely on anytime i contact you 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 do you either help out or Or you pass information along or you're just like hey how's it going and that's something important because there's not many of us who are doing really (laughs) weird research and sometimes it gets pretty lonely so um i know consistently anytime i reach out to you i know you're going to be there and i Deeply appreciate that.
0: No, I appreciate you, man. You're a blessing to me, and Likewise. I'm glad that God put us together and our friends. Exactly. So. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Uh, it's always great to talk with you. God bless Likewise. you. Good Likewise. luck in the publishing. If you need anything, Likewise. let me know. I'm gonna put my wisdom thing in the show notes. Check it out mm-hmm. Monday, five o'clock Pacific, five o'clock p.m. Pacific. So you can just use your phone. Ask me anything you want. God bless. See you. God again. bless. Bye bye. Cheers. See you. All right. Cool. That was great. <laughs>